Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you provide for us uh, to provide relief for those who see no light at the end of the tunnel. We would ask that you would prepare not only our hearts for this trip, you would help us to, uh, or remind us to pray uh, constantly from the time this service ends, Lord, until we are back home. Help us to be in an attitude of prayer, all of us here, whether we go or not. And Lord, would you please uh, prepare the people that we will come in contact with. If there are unbelievers that we will be working for, we ask that we could be a witness and give them the gift of salvation, just not wood and nails and insulation. We pray also if we help Christians that we could be an encouragement, that we would be able to build their faith. However you wish to use us, Lord, we want to be open for that. And along with that, the um, spirit of Christmas on the main and the Cambodia and Africa that is going to come up within the next few months. We pray that you would be guiding us in every single effort that we put forward and help us to always seek your guidance and your blessing. And for that, Lord, we would pray for your blessing and guidance in your word. May we learn solidly what your word teaches. In Jesus' name, amen. What's tomorrow? Halloween. That's right. Halloween. If I'm going to give you a little intro before we get into Exodus, Exodus about uh, Halloween. <clears throat> Halloween is something, uh, maybe you remember a lot of us in here as children. When we would go trick-or-treating, we didn't take just a sack. We took a pillowcase. And we would go as quickly as we could from house to house when we were junior high-ish, right? You were the older trick-or-treaters. At this point, you got high schoolers coming to your door as well. We decided we're going to give them, what's the name of that old brown candy, that Horak or Hor... Whorehound, yeah. We can give the older kids whorehound and give the younger kids just really good... No, I'm kidding. I don't want to do that to the poor teenagers that are coming through, but you get all kinds of them coming through now, right? But when we were doing it, you'd dress up just a little bit, and it was a time where you just gathered a bunch of candy, you poured it out, and that was kind of the end of it. There weren't too many parties at Halloween unless you got a little bit older, and then it probably wasn't good at all. Satan was ruling no matter if you were at a party or anywhere else on that particular night. But now it's changing a little bit. If you go back to 601 and 602 AD, there was Pope Gregory II. And he decided to take the Celtic celebration, a Sawin, and Christianize it. And what they came up with was All Souls Day and All Souls Eve and All Hallows Eve. And because of that, the church trying to co-opt a pagan holiday today we still have a lot of those trappings for instance during halloween you know the bobbing for apples it was thought that if you got an apple first while bobbing for it you would marry the next year <laughs> you didn't know that did that's part of it 
you know, and, and just the colors associated with Halloween, the black and the orange, those are colors that are exclusive to Halloween. Also, today we've incorporated some tans and a few other colors, earth tones with that, and we have these fall festivals types of things. But black referred to the night, you know, the black cats that are out there. In the United States, it is considered a bad omen if a black cat crosses your path but in england or asia it's just the opposite if a black cat covers your path it is crosses your path it's a good sign and if a white cat over there crosses your path that's a bad sign so in the united states we have our own celebrations with this but it came from the celts the celts would light a fire during this time of year because it was the significant it would signify the onset of winter and they would keep fires burning all winter and they would burn things in this fire now i can remember being in elementary school probably third grade or so and at our elementary school and i grew up in chula vista uh, we went to rosebank elementary school and what they did is they brought large trucks they were doing a lot of building at that time it was in the 60s and they would bring the large trucks full of old wood from building construction sites and i can remember on two or three occasions they would have these piles of wood that would be 12 feet high probably 14 feet wide and they would light them on fire in the middle of the playground could you imagine them doing that today they they did that and all the families would come and we'd fix hot dogs and things like that at our elementary school and these bonfires are a carryover from what the Celts did. They would burn these fires and it would just start raging. And this is during the time of Halloween. And they'd also have a, um, a little Halloween carnival there at the school. And everybody would dress up and they would go to that. But these traditions that we have and the idea that you get this candy, you're supposed to give a candy to somebody who is like a spirit that comes from the dead comes back from the dead and when this originally began with the celts the spirits that came back from the dead were not considered dangerous just kind of mischievous that type of thing but in our day and age it has graduated when we were growing up it was witches and it was bats and it was goblins and it was the creature from the dark lagoon and it was mummies and all of these scary things witches were old and they were hags and they had big noses and huge Huge warts on them and a pointy hat. What do witches look like today? They are young, they are beautiful, and they are powerful, right? That's how they're portrayed on television. You don't get a portrayal of a witch being some old hag out there now. And so this is even transforming in our lifetimes to something that has become the second largest monetary holiday in the United States. More is spent on Halloween than is spent on Thanksgiving, than is spent on, um, what's the, uh, Valentine's Day. Any other day, except for Christmas, more is spent on Halloween. You have all these stores pop up everywhere, and you can spend lots of money on these costumes. And so the question comes up, in our culture, as Christians, what are we supposed to do with Halloween? By the way... Christmas is the same. Christmas was adopted from the Celts who had this pagan holiday. And so the popes thought, well, we'll just incorporate our 
traditions with that. Like, for instance, you know that the Bible talks about getting a Christmas tree and hanging ornaments on it, right? And the wreath that is the circle of life, that is, of course, in the Bible, isn't it? It's in the book of First Speculations. You know where it's at. <laughs> and, and then you have the Yule log, you know, the burning of the Yule log and the holly, the mistletoe, and the mistletoe is poisonous, all of these things. None of that is in the Bible. It's where the Christians try to co-opt a particular holiday from the Celts and make it their own. And Jesus was not born on December 25th. Chances are he was born in the spring. But it was an attempt by Christianity to do that. It was probably not a good idea because now what do we have? We don't have really Christmas anymore. We have winter break or the winter solstice. And so we want to go back to our roots of paganism, get rid of Christ completely. It is watered down Christianity because now Christians are confused. And by the way, there are Christians that feel you can celebrate Christmas, but you cannot celebrate Halloween. And those people, I don't know if you're one of them in here, but that's a little hypocritical. If you're going to not celebrate Halloween, you better not celebrate Christmas because they are equal. They have come from the pagans and the church has tried to come in and co-opt those things. But is that what we're supposed to do as Christians, not celebrate these particular holidays? Now, when it comes to Halloween, I could go back into the history of the black cats and the witches and the, the trick or treat and all of that. And, you know, you might be a little bored with some of that information, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to talk briefly before I get into the book of Exodus about what our response is to be. Now, I believe there are five different responses we can have to Halloween. One is that we participate with little restraint, which means you just kind of go all in. You go to the Halloween parties. You dress up like witches or Dracula or these evil beings that are out there. And by the way, it used to be just these spirits from the dead that were a problem in Jack Lantern. You know, that used to uh, be there so that you would scare away the spirits. That's why you have the scary faces on them. Now it's turned into an art form. I don't know if you've seen some of these pumpkins that have been carved, but they are works of art. They should be frozen and kept as, you know, something like a Picasso. But anyhow, I digress. This idea that people as Christians participate full bent into Halloween, uh, Ouija boards and seances and all that. You know, it's all in fun. It's all happy-go-lucky and all of that. I, I don't think so. My personal opinion is this is a time of darkness. And if you just give full vent to the event of Halloween, we are probably doing a disservice. Anything that is of the dark arts, so to speak. And by the way, when the church came along and said, now we're going to make this a Christian event, All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Day, or the Eve of All Saints' Day, when they decided to do that, some of the practices that the Celts were involved in, for instance, the fires that would burn, they had offer sacrifices in that, they had offer grain offerings and fruit offerings and animal offerings, and at some point it is believed that they offered people as well 
on these fires because after all, if these gods or these spirits were appeased by something like fruit or an animal, they would certainly be appeased by a human sacrifice. And so the church said, no, this is not going to be taking place anymore. And it forced those people who wanted to maintain this human origin, this holiday, it forced them underground. So it became secret. That's where you got the black magic because it was done at night. And that's where witches wear black and it was all mysterious. And then it, it translated that from spirits to demons and it it just took a turn for the worst and so the mystery that was surrounding all of that sometimes it comes back up even for those who are christians and anything to do with the spirit world we are not to mess with god didn't say this stuff wasn't real uh even in my message here i have something considered uh, a big question by some remember king saul how when he didn't know what to do with the Amalekites, and so he went and sought out the witch of Endor, not the one on Star Wars, but this is a real witch of Endor. She was a necromancer, and she called up from the dead Samuel the prophet because he didn't know what to do. Now, it was bad for him to do that in that he lost his kingdom, he died, and his sons died as a result of him doing that, messing with the people who were dead. Now, Samuel actually came up from the dead, which means, is it possible for you to get in touch with spirits? Well, I, I don't know that they are people. I think maybe God allowed this. I, I don't know for sure. But there's certainly some kind of connection that people have with the dead. It's called necromancy. They even had a program on television, a guy who was a necromancer, and he started this automatic writing, and he would write things from the spirit world. God never said it wasn't real. He said, don't do it. Don't get involved in that stuff because it can lead to real problems. Isn't it this time of year that they talk about the Whaley House? And uh, it's probably the most haunted house. I just heard this most haunted house in the United States. You know, you can get really scared. And I think Dennis Connery has some, uh, right? Some, isn't it a farce or something like that? It's pretty much a farce, right? They just made it up so they make money, right? Yeah, the house wasn't even there, right? It, yeah. And so if you want more information about that, Dennis has some information. He's associated with that. He, not that he haunts there, but he knows some... <laughs> Uh, but he, he has some information about that. And so, you know, when it, it comes to this stuff of getting in touch with the darkness and casting spells and white witches and dark witches, just stay away from it. They even make movies about the Ouija board. I never saw it, but there was a Ouija movie or something like that. And we had one as kids. You know, I, who had one as, as a child? Yeah, and we would sit around and we would put our hands on that thing and we'd move it and we'd look at each other and say, stop moving it. I'm not moving it. You know, and we would move and, and you know, it'd spell out stuff and we'd go, this is weird, you know, this is really strange. It, we should have never been messing with that stuff. You open yourself up. And by the way, to enhance this, what they do is they take drugs. And so if you take drugs and you're under the influence, it leads you right into that dark spiritual realm and you need to just stay away from that, you know, especially with medical marijuana. And I know there's probably some people who are involved in that, but you come under another spirit and that's what they used to use to get in contact with the other side and and it just messes with your soul. 
And, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, the potency of marijuana back then was nothing. It was like St. Joseph's children's aspirin compared to what's out there today. There was one uh, journalist that took a whole chocolate bar and edible and ate the whole thing and they thought they were going crazy and thought they were going to die apparently you're only supposed to eat like a little sliver well she ate the whole thing and it was just it was bad news and that stuff puts you in touch with the other side and you don't want to be going there god says stay away from it now with that this idea that we participate fully in halloween we should not be participating fully with halloween we're not supposed to just pull off all restraint. Uh, but then there's the second one. Participate with a less enthusiastic manner. Now what this would be is where parents or grandparents grab their kids and they are responsible. They have the flashlight and they go from house to house and they say, no, we're not going to this house. Let's go to the next house. And they are dressed up as a maybe a little Bible character or a little fairy or something like that. And by the way, fairies, that came from the Celts as well. They started transforming these ghosts and these spirits into little entities. And one of them was a fairy like Peter Pan, so to speak, and Tinkerbell. And and so this idea that somebody would be responsible and go around from house to house and grab candy and look at all when it's all done and make sure that everything is okay there. You know, that's, I don't have a problem with that. We did that. Uh, we'd go around and the people are outside in their driveways and they have a bonfire going. There's one cul-de-sac up by us. They give you a choice of ice cream, uh choice of popcorn. What's the other one? It's candy. You can you can pick one of the three, and the whole cul-de-sac gets together, and the kids, oh, you know, they're all excited, and they can get whatever they want there. And I get the atmosphere of the neighborhood getting involved in that, and they dress up the kids, and sometimes the adults dress up. Now, I did see recently a picture, a little boy. He's dressed up like Peter Pan, right? And his dad dressed up in all black, just like Peter Pan. Guess what he was? The shadow. He was the shadow. You couldn't see him at night. You know, he was just like pitch black, but he followed his son. And I get that. That's fun, you know, to do stuff like that. And that makes a memory. And Christians, some feel comfortable with doing that. And I I really don't have an issue with that. Then there's the alternative celebrations where a church or a school puts on a harvest celebration and they discourage any type of morbid looking costume they encourage the kids to dress up as bible characters they'll fix carne asada they'll have little games and hopefully this year no clowns will be out there but you know they they just do fun stuff and there's cakewalks and you know just like wow that's an alternative to the darkness that's in halloween and i i think that's good too then you know as christians we want to be evangelistic right Scripture tells us that the churches that aren't evangelistic are being disobedient. Timothy was told to do the work of an evangelist. Also in Matthew chapter 28, we have the great commission that we're to go out and make disciples. Well, in order to make a disciple, they have to be evangelized first. You have to proselytize people who are unsaved. What better night of the year to have everybody come to your house for you to give them a track? Right? Don't we still have the tracks back there in the back in the credenza? Could you check that for me, Eric? Anyhow, if they are, just put them on top of the credenza. If you're going to stay at home, 
and you're going to pass out candy for kids, give each one a track. Drop it in there, the, the uh, good person track. Just drop it in there. You, normally, we have to go out and we have to pass out these tracks to everybody, right? They come to you. You're right there. Just drop that thing in there. And they get it home. And, what is this? Oh, those Christians, you know, putting that in. And let them go over that little track that's in there. And, you know, they make it saved. They might say, wow, that, you know, that's kind of neat. Okay, and maybe they're searching. And that can just put them over the edge. And then there's the last one. The last one is the Christian with the top button buttoned up here and the collar up and gloves on and stiff as a board saying we ought not to participate in anything to do with Halloween whatsoever. It is a pagan holiday and cursed be the day that anybody sets foot in a Halloween store and buys Halloween candy and passes that stuff out. It is from Satan. You know, and, and that's how they treat it. And they, they condemn anybody who participates in that. Now, I think that's just as wrong as the first one. You know, we're to be a witness. You, you ever see these communities that are built exclusively like in the Midwest or somewhere? A Christian community. You can buy a house here in the Christian community and we're all believers and we'll put a wall around our community and we have special events at our community which they're all Christian, right? God never told us to do that. He said, we're going to live in the world and we're to be a light to the world while we're in the world. And so to say we can't participate in anything like this, that's just crazy because you think it's of Satan. What part of this world isn't of Satan? You know, I mean, it's it's all of Satan. If you buy a Starbucks coffee, you're given to what Satan supports, right? You're given to the abortion industry and, and all kinds of nefarious organizations that the Christian would say, ah, anathema. You know, we don't want to be involved. You can't even buy shave cream or cereal or anything like that without giving to somebody. That's why, like, boycotts, do they actually work? Well, you just, you know, there's only a handful of corporations that own everything out there now, and they all give to these uh, bad groups that are out there with their Planned Parenthood or some other organization that we disagree with. So we cannot separate ourselves from the world. We're to be a light in the world. When I gave you all of these, these five that are in here, what we want to do, if even if we disagree with what somebody else is doing, It's not our job as Christians to condemn them for that. There are some Christians who feel they cannot participate in Halloween whatsoever, and for them it would be sin. Then there are those Christians who feel all restraint needs to be pulled off. Well, that's probably sin for them too. They're not being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit says. You know, the the Lord told the Israelites, do not pick up the detestable practices of those who live in Canaan when you get into the promised land. And they did everything from sacrificing their own children to necromancy to all kinds of detestable acts. And God said, do not do it. And that has always been the case. That thing has not changed. That's part of the moral law of God. It's not a ceremonial law that is out there. And so we want to make sure to take care not to condemn somebody for the freedom that they think they have. But our warning from scripture is do not get involved in anything of the 
dark spiritual realm out there. And whatsoever is good, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, but also do such things. I mean, if you're going around, you know, some of these costumes, and I mean, they spend money on these costumes. Some of these costumes are evil looking you know, you get out there and if you're a Christian dressing up like this evil guy and you're walking around or girl, it can be a girl too. And you're walking around and you're scaring oh, oh, these little kids and stuff like that. You know what? How is that benefiting those kids? Get these kids traumatized and oh, it's all light fun. Well, I don't think so. And so we want to make sure that as Christians, we moderate our stance a little bit. We don't condemn anybody but we are also not involved in anything that the Lord would disapprove of. And so that's what we should do. If you um, take some time and look into the history of this, how this eventually came to us in its present form, it's an interesting study to do that. But uh, everything that is here is going to be passing away, and we know that there is a lot in the future for us that is righteous and true, and that's what we want to focus on. Now, getting into... The scripture, Exodus chapter 30, we left off there with the anointing oil. And the anointing oil in Exodus chapter 30, verse 22 through 38, dealt with this oil that was prepared for the high priest and the other priests that would go in and minister inside of the tabernacle. And it was a sign of a blessing, a sign of wellness, good fortune, help, healing, preparedness, protection, and empowerment. That's what this oil would point to. And then we talked about these two individuals that had been chosen by God to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut stones, to work in wood, to engage in, engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. And God had given skills to two individuals, Bezalel and Aholiab. Uh, these two men were skilled along with a bunch of other guys who God actually gave them the skill. Now, God said, and I let you know, that he has chosen these individuals. He had filled them with the Spirit and given them the skill that they need and also provided for them a purpose. And I mentioned that that's what has happened to us as well. We have been chosen. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit. He has provided a skill, which takes time to develop that skill, all for a purpose. And the purpose is the gifts of the Spirit are for the building up of the body of Christ until the, everyone in the body of Christ has reached maturity, that they understand everything about Christ, everything about his church. You know, when, when you reach a point of maturity in your life with Christ, when a message is given anywhere, I listened to uh, Dr. David Jeremiah yesterday. It was good. You know, I was listening to the message going, that's right on. And he was talking about the rapture. And I'm just going, man, that's good. And I couldn't add anything to what he said. You know, I was just going, amen, amen. Down I'm driving down the road, amen, amen. You know, I look at the other person over there. It was just, it was good, you know. And I couldn't add anything to it. And he didn't tell me anything I didn't know. But it was good. That's what happens when you reach maturity. I'll give you something in the word and you go, amen. Can I get an amen? amen. There we go. And, and it's just, we already know this stuff, but we're being reminded of it. But if I'm giving you something that's new that you've never heard before, 
Then you're going, oh, I didn't know that. I'm going to write that down in my Bible. And you put it down there and it's all good. And that's why when somebody gives a message, preaching or teaching, you always go for the lowest rung. You put the cookies on the bottom shelf. You don't want to make it so high and lofty that nobody gets it. They don't understand it because, you know, most of us, we have a third grade education in Bible and we're supposed to feed the sheep. You know, the, the sheeple, you know, they, they don't know everything and I'm a sheeple too and we don't know everything and teachers with more knowledge than us have taught us as well, but we're to rise to this point of maturity where we're not tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine that comes along. You know, I was, I was listening to David Jeremiah, and he talked about the rapture and just all the timing of it. And then I listened to another message of a local church around here. And I noticed they were teaching about the book of Revelation. And I noticed the subject material was not about the book of Revelation. They read a, a section in it, and I, I thought to myself, how come you're not teaching the book of Revelation when you're in the book of Revelation? And so I, on their website, had this ask a theological question. Okay. So I typed in a theological question. I said, do you teach and believe in the rapture, the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, the Antichrist? I waited. And the response was, no. And it's a bigger church. I thought, no, really? And so I started digging a little more. I asked about their salvation. I was very polite. I didn't type back, you heretic, in all large letters, you know. I, I didn't do that. Something like eschatology, that is a subject. It's, you know, some people believe in it, some people don't. But then my next question dealt with salvation. And uh, a few things concerning salvation. And they, they put me at ease. It's like, okay, the salvation is good. But I mean, it's, some of the stuff in scripture is so plain. And it was so evident to me because everybody that has taught me about proper eschatology, I'm going, wait, I'm going to examine that according to scripture and see if that's right based on what I've been taught. And they were just wrong. And then I asked a second question. I asked a question about double predestination. Uh, what that is, is are people, do you believe that people, some are born to burn and some are born to salvation? Like we have no choice. And uh, the response came back and it's like they didn't even answer the question. And so I had to rephrase it and send it back. And when you're mature in the faith, and I, I am no, in no sense fully mature, I'm still working at it as well. There's a f- couple of things I think I know. And, and so I, I went to them and I, I was satisfied with their answer. It was okay. But I want to make sure you guys are not deceived as well. I mean, if you start thinking about it, just, and I don't want to get too far off the subject here, just the churches in Lakeside, how many believe in the rapture? How, how many believe in the second coming of Christ that uh, it's going to happen and he's going to come back and get us and then it's the second advent that's going to take place and the tribulation and the antichrist? How many actually believe in that? There's really not that many and it's because they allegorize the scripture. And so this idea of using the gifts, if your gift is teaching, you get excited about that. If I start talking about theology, you're going, wait, and the ears pop up and you pull out the pen and you start writing things down. You know, Apologetics, oh, I'm totally into that. And if your gift is a gift of helps, maybe not so much. If I say, we're going to Baton Rouge, you go, what? 
And you, your ears pop in. Oh, I can do that. You know, I can go to Baton Rouge. Or if I start talking numbers, gift of administration. What? 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 I can do that. Reading stuff, you know, technical data. Oh, yeah, I can do all of that stuff. That's all the good. And so that's why we have the different gifts inside of the body of Christ. Now, the gifts are for believers. In Ephesians chapter 4, and there's three sections in the New Testament that talk about the gifts that are given to us. And first there is apostles and there are prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Those are offices that God has appointed for people inside of the church. If you have been appointed to one of those, you should know that you have been appointed to one of those. You shouldn't have just said, well, I think I want to grow up to be a prophet. And so I'm going to go to school to be a prophet. It doesn't work like that. The Lord calls the individual and these particular offices. If somebody goes into the ministry just because they thought, well, it'd be a good profession. You're helping people. You know, it's kind of like the Red Cross. No, it's not. You're, you're going to come across all kinds of problems that if you were in the Red Cross, it, it's just not the same. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it talks about these offices that exist. And that's a gift. If somebody is an apostle, and I don't think the apostles are around today because Signs, wonders, and miracles follow an apostle. I've talked about this before. But the other offices, I think that they do exist today. And people get called to those particular offices. We know evangelists, right? Uh, We know pastors and teachers that are out there. Prophets, some people claim to be prophets. I just want to know if they are correct 100% of the time. If they're not correct 100% of the time on their prophecy, they don't have the gift or the office of a prophet. Then there's Romans chapter 12, verse 6. And this deals with, verse 6 through 8, it deals with the gifts of prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, and mercy. You know, somebody with the gift of mercy, if you have sinned, find the person with the gift of mercy. They will come alongside, if you're repentant, and they'll go, oh, I'm so sorry. And they'll grab you and pull you in. This is going to be okay. Mercy needs to be shed across to everybody. And they will extend mercy. They will help and give forgiveness and grace to those who need it, who have sinned, who have erred, who have lost their way. Then there's those with the gift of encouragement. Usually the gift of mercy and the gift of encouragement go together. They're like twins. The person with the gift of encouragement, don't you worry about a thing. It's almost like the gift of faith. Don't you worry about a thing. You're going to be just fine. The Lord has an answer for you and it's just coming next week or the week after. I can just see it. I trust God. I've seen him move before and you're going to be great. Or if you have the gift of prophecy, thus saith the Lord. And then all of a sudden you think, uh-oh, I'm going to get my head lopped off for saying something here, you know. And, and the person with the gift of prophecy cannot hold it back. They have to speak concerning God and his word. Then there's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. This deals with the gift of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. All of these things, when it comes to the gifts... For instance, the gift of wisdom. There are people in every church that have the gift of wisdom. They are able to sit back, analyze the situation, take the information that's before them, and go, this is how we should proceed. And if they have the gift of wisdom, they probably have a humble spirit. Because they know, like Solomon, you know, everything that we have in this life is for naught. Everything that we have for the next life is good. And so they would encourage us in a way that would be full of life, full of encouragement, 
full of direction, full of a substantial amount of information that we can be guided the way the Lord wants us to be guided. And God uses those people. And the reason that they're so wise is because they've made a lot of mistakes. You know, you might think, oh, I'm so stupid. There was one film I saw once. Amy Smart, and who's the Green Lantern guy? What's his name? Ryan Reynolds. It was a Christmas. It'll probably be out soon. It was a Christmas movie. And it, it makes so many mistakes, right? And he got in his little car, his little Porsche. He'd become a very successful guy. And he had just blown it with Amy, who he loved in high school, but he wasn't fit enough. And now he'd become fit and successful. And and he said some things, just stupid things right in front of her. So he leaves and he goes, oh, stupid, it's just stupid. And he's saying this to himself. He gets in his car and he starts hitting the steering wheel. Stupid, idiot. And Amy Smart walks up and just watches him. She's right there in the window. How stupid he was. And we are stupid, right? But the more stupidity you run into, if you pay attention, it teaches you which grows into wisdom. You cannot gain wisdom without hardship. You cannot gain wisdom without failure. Who wants to pray for the gift of wisdom? Yeah, exactly. You see, that's, that's how the Lord works. And each one of us has a gift, just like these two craftsmen and all the other craftsmen that were called. And the purpose of the gifts is for the equipping of the saints, the serving and building up of the body of Christ, the encouraging and maintaining unity and a common faith, growing in our knowledge of the Son of Man, maturing in the fullness of Christ and providing discernment. If people are not using their gifts... The body suffers. Scripture tells us this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. We each need each other. Could you imagine if these Bezalel and Aholiab, if they decided not to use their gift? They're in the camp, and God says, I have appointed these two men and all the other craftsmen to build the tabernacle, to work wood, gold, silver, and bronze. And then Moses goes to them and said, hey, the Lord has chosen you. And you go, ah, sorry, I got to go surf today. I cannot be there to work the metal. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, but, you know, this is really important for us to worship God in the tabernacle. Well, yeah, you know. Let me talk to you about that. I also have a tax appointment, you know, I have to get to, and I have to cut my toenails, and I have to do a few other things. You you see what happens? And those are the excuses we come up with. They're that significant. In light of eternity, in light what God has called us to, we decide, no, I'm not going to do it. And you take your gift and you shelve it. And you just say, not just you, you know, I've done that in the past too, me. We shelve it and we say, no, I'm not going to do that right now. I mean, we have no perspective of where we're going, where we're going to end up. And how how long will it be before we're with the Lord? Could be today, right? I mean, it could be that quick. 
the election. It could be next week we'd be with the Lord after the election is all over. We don't know what's going on, you know, in the future. We can't even discern what's going to take place tomorrow. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we use our gifts. Today is the day we bring encouragement and wisdom and examples of faith, and we are giving the gift of helps to those who need it. We are supposed to do it every time we get together. If you come to church and you think, how is Pastor Bill going to feed me today? Is he going to give me steak? Or is he going to give me something in a little jar named Gerber? And I'm going to eat on that material. What is he going to give me exactly? You shouldn't come to church thinking about what you're going to get out of it. You should come to church thinking, how can I minister to the people today that are going to be in church? And even if you don't have much experience, you know, being zealous without knowledge is not good. Being zealous with knowledge, oh, it's just fantastic. But a young, have you ever seen young Christians? They are so on fire. They're just lit. You come next to them and you can hear this fire of the spirit just raging around them. Hey, you know, they're happy to see you. They come to church and they warm you up. You just go, wow, this is fantastic. And get two of those young believers together. It doesn't matter their physical age. But they accept the Lord and they go, wow, this is fantastic. You get two of them together. What happens when you put more logs together? I mean, it just starts raging as a fire. And what happens if you fan it? And God says, fan our gifts into flame, right? I mean, people that are on fire, you just go, I want to be around them. They inspire me. They, they cause me to want to do things for the Lord. And, you know, they go through all kinds of trials doing that. But the Lord says, use your gift. We are to use our gifts and not hold back because tomorrow... We don't know what's in store, and we need to become fully mature. The danger of these gifts is that we use them for ourselves exclusively. Like, for instance, the gift of craftsmanship. Imagine somebody has imbued or been imbued by God with a gift of craftsmanship. They can build anything. You ask them to build, I need a nuclear reactor. No problem. I'll go right out. You know that guy, uh, what's his name? Michio Kaku? Uh, the physicist that's on television, the uh, Asian guy. He has long gray hair and he talks. I, I, I forget what he built in his garage, but it was something like a nuclear accelerator. I mean, he, and this was when he was a young man. He built this in his garage. God has given him some type of gift to put all this information together. Well, what if just the gift of craftsmanship? You know how to put two boards together. You know how to put up drywall. You know how to put up insulation. You know electrical. You can do all of that stuff. And you decide you're going to go into business for yourself. Ah, church, you know, Sunday, I got to work. What about that? Uh, church during the week? Now nah, I got to work. And you use it to benefit yourself even though God has given it to you or to me for the purposes of the kingdom. So people can use that. What if you're a good teacher? And not that teachers can't make an income outside of the church. They can, right? But what if you do that exclusively? What if you just set up a ministry, a parachurch organization, and all you're doing is making money and becoming rich off the gospel? Uh, The minister of the Lord is not to become rich off the gospel. Not that they can't have... And what I mean is... You know, there are some pastors and teachers and evangelists and televangelists that are out there and they have a home in Switzerland and they have a jet and I mean, just, 
I think it's sinful uh, to be doing that. You know, the, they're to be an example to everyone. And so the danger is we can use our gifts to benefit ourselves, And the Lord has given it to us in order to benefit the body of Christ. And lastly on this, I'm going to close up. Using our gifts, I have two more points here. Using our gifts ensures for us a reward in heaven. Matthew sixteen twenty-seven, verse through 28. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. That's what I try to keep in my focus all the time. The Lord is coming back. What am I doing? Am I doing what he wants me to do? Because he will reward me for what I have done. Now, I don't seek after that as my primary motivation, I seek after my reward, which is Jesus Christ. But he does have gifts that come along with that. He does have, I don't know what the gifts are going to be made up of. It's, it's alluded to as being crowns in scripture, but I'm really not sure if that's, I don't think that that's literal. He's going to do something for us. Now we can get to heaven and have zero reward, kind of like skin of your teeth. Uh, you'll get to heaven and, and you'll just say, wow, at least I'm here, you know. And you could be driving a Maserati, but instead you're riding around on a tricycle. And the Lord could really bless you in heaven. And it's all because we have chosen not to be involved with his kingdom. Finally, using our gifts shows that we are ready for the Lord's return. And I'll probably pick this up next week. In Matthew chapter 24 and 25, there are several stories about being ready. And these stories deal with, like, for instance, the minas, uh, the ten minas, and as opposed to the guy who only had one, or five minas, and one guy had one mina, or talents. And what about the ten virgins? Five were ready, five were not ready. And we get into this with the virgins. We think, well, the oil, the oil is the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy... I've got to tell you this real quick. This one guy came up to me and said, the five virgins that had the oil are the true believers. They get into heaven inside the walls of the city. The five virgins that didn't have the oil didn't have the Holy Spirit, and they're believers, and they go to heaven, but they're outside the walls. It's like, what are you, where are you coming up with this stuff from? You're just making it up. All it talks about is being ready. You know, having oil in your lamp so when the bridegroom comes... You're ready to go in. You have been doing what the Lord wants you to do. I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. And there's warning after warning after warning. Be ready. If the thief would have broken in an hour that you knew, you would have been ready, right? But the Lord's going to come in an hour we know not. And are we ready? You know, I could step off the stage and before my foot hits the ground, we could be raptured. Boom. Want to try it? And so... Your gift, whatever your gift is, if you don't know it, just start doing stuff. You'll find out what it is. The Lord wants you to know your gift. The Lord wants you to be in operation with it. And it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your desire. It's going to cost you your wants. It's going to cost you your cares. But that's okay. Because the Lord's going to come along and reward us all when we are faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word we thank you for these two men that were called and they answered the calling and they were using their gifts and all the other craftsmen that came in and how these people were obedient to your call we thank you lord that they were such examples to us in this way 
We understand that they were failures in many other ways, but Lord, you pointed this out for us to bring us encouragement. And so help us to cling to this teaching. Help us to be renewed and encouraged by it, that you desire to use us. You have gifted us for purposes for your church and your kingdom. And help us, Lord, by the power of your spirit, not to neglect these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.